G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day dad, how are you going today? Good, thanks Rowan. Good to be with you for the podcast today. Absolutely, always good to be with you and, and good to be with you on this topic, which I think is going to be relevant to a lot of people. I know we're having a little bit of a discussion about it off air and you said this is something that comes up, what was it, about every 10 sessions or so? Yes, it's a simple enough idea, but it's one of the common themes that comes up in therapy. And it relates to the idea of if people are in a difficult situation that doesn't seem to be improving. It could be a work situation, it could be a relationship where the person notices that they're staying frustrated for quite a long time and it's really starting to bother them more and more. It's about dealing with that kind of situation. And so we've called today's episode Becoming Unstuck, Change It, Accept It or Leave. So it is one of the episodes that on the surface seems a little bit simpler than some of the things that we talk about, but it seems that there is wide application in a whole range of situations for what we're going to be talking about today. Yes, and the idea is simple enough that there are basically three main coping alternatives for dealing with situations which are difficult, prolonged, we're feeling a little bit stuck. The three main coping alternatives are change it, do something to improve the situation, accept it. There might be ways that we can bear with what's difficult because there might be other things that actually compensate for that. And otherwise, if a situation really is not working and it's really affecting us in a negative way, then it often makes sense to leave. So we'll unpack this further today. It's a simple enough idea, but hey, when you're in that kind of situation, when you've been in a work situation which is very stressful for a long period of time and yet it's important for you to maybe have a salary and there's not some obvious alternative to move to straight off, these things aren't necessarily straightforward. Or if we're in a difficult relationship situation, that we really care for the person we're in a relationship with, but there's some ongoing major problems that don't seem to be improving. And then leaving any situation can be difficult because, well, to some extent we can be a bit creatures of habit or be used to our surroundings in some ways. To uproot ourselves, to look to leave a situation can be very challenging. So the emotions involved in these situations might be challenging, even though the ideas are straightforward enough. And it's the sort of thing as well where I suppose with the nature of some of these situations is that like can be pretty all-encompassing in a way. Like if we're feeling stuck in a particular situation, well, there's every chance that it'll bleed into other elements of our life and we'll, I suppose, feel that effect, that negative effect across different areas in our life as well. So I think it almost helps in, in these sorts of situations when something's come up almost to take a bit of a broad approach to step back and look at things in a slightly different way. And so that's what we'll be trying to do today. So we'll be mentioning some more examples such as the ones that you spoke about there, but also some of the principles that, that go along with this. So I suppose to start, Dad, talking about changing it. What can we say about changing a situation that we might find ourselves in which is is quite negative and potentially even harmful to us? Okay, well look, in the first instance, if we're in a situation that's really difficult, it's not suiting us, it's causing us a fair bit of stress, then the first thing we look to do is improve a situation. So that comes back to something of a problem-solving approach. What can we do that might improve this situation? And maybe let's take an example of, of burnout. 
It's one of the more common problems that people seek help for. They're feeling really stressed in their work situation. It's impacting on their sleep, their concentration. They're not enjoying work as much. They might be a little bit more distant from others in their relationships. They're becoming a little bit more irritable, for example, when they get home. These different signs of burnout, for example. Well, in the first instance... Rather than just putting up with this situation and thinking, well, look, I have a demanding job, so that's the way it is, it's worth looking to do something about it. And often what helps first is to do the most straightforward thing or even the simplest thing that might make a difference. So there with burnout, just say as a therapist when you come across someone in that situation, the first thing you look at is can the person reduce their demands? Can they contain their demands? And the first thing is... Can the person cut back the number of hours? If, for example, the person's working you know, 50, 60 hours a week, well, it's understandable if that keeps on going, then that's going to lead to different kind of strain over a period of time, quite understandably. Can the person cut back their hours? Or can they cut back the demands on themselves in some way? And so sometimes that might mean dropping a couple of tasks that aren't the most important, just focusing on the main kind of roles, or otherwise it might even be cutting back in terms of being a bit less perfectionistic about the way you're doing things. Doing some things 60 or 70% well if in a way they need to be done but it's not quite so important and really focus your energies on the other things that are. So that would be one example of looking to change it using, if you like, the first simpler thing that comes to mind might be can you cut back on the demands? Well, I like that idea of, of looking at, say, one small thing that you think will make a difference. And I think they're all good examples that you mentioned there. But I wonder if there could be, for example, many situations where that first thing could just be having a conversation with someone. It doesn't necessarily have to be going in all guns blazing and saying, you know, I want to change this or change that. But it could just be a miscommunication that's happened somewhere. And so I really like that principle of, say, looking for something, say, small that, might make a difference in a particular way and then I also wonder if maybe a a good first step in a lot of situations could be just talking to someone about it. Absolutely. So again, look, if we take that burnout issue, sometimes the problem is not just the number of hours in itself. The person might think, oh, look, I've got too many demands on me. But really what the main problem might be is that the expectations aren't so clear. So for example, the person might think that they're meant to do A, B, C and D and do them all perfectly well when that might not be the expectation that, for example, their employer has or their colleagues have. So sometimes the issue is more clarifying the expectations and renegotiating those expectations, if you like, or clarifying one's role and adjusting that in some way, even to include more of the things that you like doing and fewer of the things that you don't like doing. And as you say, some of that can come up in a conversation. Well, I think that's such a good point. And what comes to mind for me there is, I remember recently talking to a friend about his work situation and I believe where he was working, someone maybe uh, sort of above him in the office hierarchy in a way had, had left the job. And so he basically found himself doing you know a job and a half in that situation and was just having to put in all these extra hours and was just thinking, geez, the demands on me are so high. And basically he just 
took it to his employees in a way and sort of said, look, I'm, I'm just really, you know, burning myself thin in this situation. And through that single conversation, they were able to say to him, look, we, you know, we really understand that. We really appreciate everything that you've been doing. It's not going on forever. You know, for example, it's something that will probably only last another month or so and then we'll likely get someone in to be able to help you with that. And so it was a situation where it wasn't even as if anything on the surface changed in terms of his role and how many demands that he had on him in that particular situation. But it was even just seeing that it was a finite period of time, for example. It almost changed the way that he looked at it in some ways because it's one thing to maybe do something ongoing and feel that you're really stretched in a particular way. But if it's closed-ended and you could look at, say, a, a finite finishing time, well, then it just changes it slightly because it's more about, say, a sprint getting to that point and then you can have maybe a little bit of clear air after that rather than just in perpetuity feeling like you're always going to have to stretch yourself beyond what you're capable of. That's a very good example because when you look at it, in the first instance, your friend faced an impossible problem. Hey, I'm meant to do like two jobs in one or one and a half jobs in one. It might look just impossible and someone could feel stuck in that situation, start to feel helpless if they're not looking to step back and think of how they can improve the situation. And they might think, look, gosh, I I can't handle this, I'm just going to have to leave. And that would be unfortunate if, as you described, there was a much simpler way. In that situation, it was clarifying the expectations and what role someone had. So, yeah, things can change. A colleague can go, and in the meantime, someone might have to fill their shoes for a bit. But if that's only very temporary, and it means maybe you can drop a couple of other demands while you're doing that, then suddenly you go from something being impossible to something being doable. So... That's another example. It's partly how we look at the situation, how we appraise it, how we think through the alternatives. And Looking to improve a situation is about problem solving. It's about considering alternatives. And in the first instance, we want to be clear on what the problem is. And In this situation, it wasn't that someone was expected to do one and a half jobs forever. It was to tide over a difficult period for another month or so. I think that's such a good point and the thing that I like about that is as well is it brings in the principle of like when we say things out loud I think it almost slightly changes the way that we look at them as well in terms of we can have a situation that feels you know all encompassing in some ways and you know you feel like oh no no one might understand it in the way that I'm looking at it but going through the exercise of even saying something out loud even if it's not necessarily to the person responsible who might be able to change things in a way but it's almost like you have to put things through more of a a filter in some ways like you have to take out some of the emotion of it you might have to explain things a little bit more broadly and in doing that that can almost help you to reevaluate the situation in some ways. And so it, it goes from being this all-encompassing, emotion-laden situation in your head to something that's a little bit, you're looking at it with a little bit more distance. You're taking a bit more of a step back just through explaining it in a particular way. Yes, and what you're describing there, a whole lot of dealing with these situations where we're feeling stuck, we could call it some kind of perspective-taking like you're mentioning, stepping back from a situation. That's a whole lot of what actually comes up in a therapy situation. The person comes in, they're describing what's difficult in their lives to an interested other person who might have something extra they can offer, but often what we're doing as therapists a whole lot is listening to people describe the situation. And sometimes when people hear themselves describe the situation out loud, other alternatives can come up. 
from that perspective. But I will also mention sometimes people do need to pick up some other kind of skills or strategies that they haven't been able to see for themselves. And I'll mention an example, say with relationship conflict. So this is one of the common areas where people seek help in a therapy situation and they might be having lots of arguments at home, several heated arguments, they notice that their feelings for their partner may be uh, shifting a bit, they're feeling often frustrated, often angry. The person can feel bad themselves about how they're reacting towards their partner as well, but just very unhappy with how their partner might be acting in certain ways, especially, say, with frequent arguments. And again, in this situation, rather than let it fester, that's not something to just accept if people are becoming more distant from each other. It's important to do something to change it. But again, often, some of the simpler things, they might take some focus and some really trying to apply yourself, but often some simpler ideas. For example, if people are having a lot of arguments, one of the first things they can do is to look to have a less harsh start-up to their arguments. And this is based on the work, for example, of the Gottmans with relationship therapy. John and Julie Gottman, they spelled out lots of different strategies that people can use to improve their relationship, especially if they're having lots of arguments. And one of the first things is looking to dial down the emotion somewhat. Only look to bring up an issue or problem to discuss when people can both be somewhat calm and look to dial down that harsh startup. Another example from the Gottmans is if in a relationship that commonly one partner or the other is being critical, lots of criticism, the other one often being defensive, looking to reduce that start by looking to reduce the criticism. And even further again, if there are signs of contempt. If one partner or the other, from their tone of voice or rolling their eyes, their non-verbal gestures, it's coming across as contemptuous towards one's partner, that's really damaging towards a relationship and it will often lead the other person to feel very frustrated and stuck in a relationship if that's not improving. But sometimes just by changing some of those verbal and non-verbal behaviours, it can lead to a major improvement, especially if people also maybe do something else For example, they look to spend some positive time with each other, at least, for example, once a month. Better still, once a fortnight, but going out for dinner together. Even if people have small children and they're busy, usually people can commit themselves to finding once a month that they reconnect with each other in some way. Now, that can be such a positive thing because people remember why they wanted to get together in the first place. So these are some examples where there are other strategies that people can pick up on that can make a real difference rather than just feeling helpless and stuck thinking what I can do. Sometimes we can think of things ourselves. Other times people might draw on a therapy situation to help bring about change. And that leads to the other point. Sometimes we can draw on the supports around us. Sometimes we can call on the help of friends or others to share a concern or issue or bring something up and then that sometimes can help us too with any thoughts they might have or even just listening to us. And the other, I think, really important aspect that we've spoken about there is clarifying exactly what the problem is because that can help us maybe 
look at things slightly differently as well. That can help us to I suppose maybe reevaluate the situation in a way that we haven't necessarily thought of. But it just strikes me that if we can clarify and, and even understand further exactly what the problem is, then that can just help us to go, oh, well, you know, maybe it's something to do with the environment that we're in. Maybe it's something to do with the, the time of day that we're always, you know, getting into these arguments and we're, you know, maybe not necessarily in the best mood at that time. We need to just look at things in a slightly different way to be able to give ourselves the best chance of maybe not falling into those patterns. But it just strikes me with just about any situation, if we can clarify exactly what the problem is, well, that helps to maybe take a bit of a step back from things and maybe look at things in a slightly different way, which is going to help us get to a solution that we wouldn't otherwise have thought of. It's a good point and something I can relate to recently on that theme, looking at what the problem is, is over the last month things have come up where it may be somewhat late notice I was giving a couple of talks or presenting webinars and there was a characteristic pattern before each of these presentations, often especially about three or four days before, certainly a few days before, I was starting to feel more stressed and starting to feel more pressured And this is not unusual for me. I had the thought go through my mind, look, why would I do this in the first place? Why did I choose to take this on? I might have been better off not doing that. Fortunately, I'm quite familiar with that kind of self-talk and I recognise where it often comes from. It's that old chestnut for me, the unrelenting standards or perfectionism, watch out for that. I've got much more of a handle on it these days, but we talked recently about schema therapy there's anything that I have to watch out as a pattern, it's potentially putting more pressure on the need be. Part of that's good because you take it seriously and you look to do a good job and maybe it helps a little bit that way, but sometimes there's more stress than there needs to be. So the problem in that situation was not that had extra demands over and above everyday work, it was maybe what pressures or expectations I put on myself when preparing for that. So like you say, it's getting an idea what the problem is And in that situation, it was not that I had some extracurricular activities on. It was really going to be about my approach to them. Well, I think that leads us nicely to the next coping alternative that we have, which is to accept a situation. Like, strikes me that, you know, there was many good things to come out of those webinars and it probably wasn't something where you were going to look at it beforehand and go, oh, well, that's it. I'm just going to do, you know, 15 minutes of stuff that I know that I can do as opposed to maybe extending yourself a little bit further. Like... There might be situations that we come across because even other people are involved and this is the nature of other people and our relationships with others that we we can't change the situation for whatever reason. So how does accepting it come into it as a coping alternative? Okay, now one way I can think of this is often in people's job situations, for example, there's some things that are very difficult to manage with. It might be politics that's coming up in a school or hospital environment, for example. And there are periods of time where I was working where, well, it'd be delightful and you'd have wonderful relationships with others and it's great to be part of a team and a group, but there would be also sometimes it would have been quite frustrating. And there would have been times where I felt that some of the leadership, for example, wasn't optimal in a hospital setting and that was having quite an impact on a culture. Yet there were many very good things about the work, the satisfaction of it, the contact with colleagues, the situation could be in that way. And it reminds me of, for example, school teachers who might have been in that situation in a difficult school environment. Again, it might relate to the leadership or things happening outside the classroom, but the person was a dedicated school teacher who enjoyed many aspects of their work. 
sometimes it's best to take the good with the bad. Sometimes there might be something suboptimal about parts of your work situation, aspects of it. And yet, if you focus on the things that you can control, for example, a teacher focusing on when they're in the classroom, or during those times I mentioned that were more frustrating in a hospital setting, if I focused on what was happening in the therapy room where I had a lot of autonomy and would choose who I caught up with for lunch and had certain projects where you'd collaborate with colleagues that gave satisfaction, all those positive things could really outweigh some of the other things that were more frustrating. And so it would help accept it. So sometimes it's partly a matter of what we pay attention to, Noticing the aspects of our role that we enjoy, highlighting that, containing some of the frustrations in whatever way, including not over-focusing on them. For example, if it is in a work setting where a number of people are complaining about different things, sometimes these things are minor enough that it's best not to get caught up in that kind of negativity and focus on the things that you can really do something about, such as a teacher in a classroom, for example. So again, it's a matter of perspective taking, but looking to weigh things up and not forgetting the positives of a situation, not over-focusing on the negatives. And so it seems to me that with accepting it, there's almost an element of, of looking at the pros and cons in some ways. And, and like this exercise of going through, for example, writing down all the pros of a situation, all the cons of a situation. Like for me anyway, most of the time that that comes up is when you're getting into a new situation for whatever reason, or, you know, should I go in this direction or should I go in that direction? But it strikes me that it can be almost just as helpful to look at a current situation and go, all right, well, what am I actually getting out of this? You know, like, what's the, the why for me at the moment in terms of, like, well, why am I actually doing this? Like, you said it about your webinar before. It's like, well, why am I going through this exercise in the first place? Because without maybe thinking about that and without prompting us at some stage to think about what those pros are, well, the cons are going to be so much obvious to us because they're all the obstacles that are standing in the way. They're all the things that are making us uncomfortable about a situation. It can almost be harder to focus on the pros sometimes, but I think if we have a real sense of exactly what we want to get out of a situation or why we're doing a situation in the first place, well, that can be helpful to maybe get through some of the negativity of a situation and get past some of the obstacles or the, the tricky things that we maybe don't want to deal with as much. Yes, I think that's a very good example. One way we look at that is what are our values? In a particular situation, if we're aware what our values are, looking to contribute in certain ways, collaborate with other people, maybe be creative, produce something that might benefit other people, if we're aware of those kind of values and if you can exercise them in a particular situation, as you say, having a sense of purpose about you, having a sense of meaning in what you're doing, that actually helps us be much more resilient. And one classic example of that is if people feel, for example, that their work is a calling, like if someone feels that their work as a teacher is a calling, that actually helps people persist in dealing with challenging situations. And in relationships also, if people are aware of their values and a sense of purpose in being in a relationship, a number of people will feel in some ways that their relationships are meant to be. So they'll feel there's this extra meaning or purpose in being with that particular partner. That can really help manage through conflict situations. So if there is a conflict situation, people are more likely to persist, to work together, to get through it in some way, because they're aware of that bigger why or that purpose or meaning. That really helps in a situation. 
And it's funny as we're talking about this because I reckon if I sort of think back, you know, over, you know, the, the journey to, I suppose, get quite broad with it, but like I think naturally I'm someone who maybe had a little bit more bent towards changing things in terms of, like I can even remember a conversation I had with a friend, you know, a few years ago now, but it was an important conversation that I think we had where they were basically telling me about a problem. I can't remember exactly what it was, but, you know, you want to help your friend in that situation. You want to be there as a, a listening ear in some ways. And so everything that they would say, you'd say, oh, you know, have you thought about this or have you thought about that in terms of almost trying to find a solution in a particular situation. And they, you know, and I, I respect this and appreciate this so much about that person that they were able to say to me in that situation, I'm actually not looking for a solution here. Like, you know, every time we, you know, have a conversation about something, you're giving me all these solutions, but I don't actually necessarily want that. And so it strikes me that there could be times where we may not even necessarily want to particularly change a situation. But for example, you can go to a friend and, you know, if they're just there as a listening ear and they say to you, you know, look, that that would be so tough. That might be really tough to deal with rather than going, oh, well, let's change this. Let's change that. Have you thought about all these sweeping changes, which, you know, are going to be pretty hard to implement in some ways. But in that situation, it might just be that we just want to basically tell someone about it. That whole thing of saying it out loud and maybe saying it in a slightly different way comes in and then can even be easier to accept that situation, almost just being validated through someone saying, you know, that that would be really tough, not necessarily having to come up with a whole range of solutions or things that you have to do to change the situation. That's a very good way of putting it. And I think that's a, a very common thing that people might feel that all they really need is a listening ear. And you certainly hear that in relationship situations as well. And this might be a little bit stereotyped to say this, but certainly I've often seen this pattern. Often you see men tend to go into a problem-solving kind of orientation, whereas often women might express that they'd rather just have a listening ear, so to speak, and would be in a good position to be there just to offer a listening ear to someone and recognising how valuable that would be. We don't have to solve other people's problems. And that's something to keep in mind also when we recently had the Are You OK Day. And sometimes people are nervous about the idea of Are You OK Day because they're thinking, hey, wait a minute, but what if I ask my friend, Are You OK? And what if they say no? What if they say I'm not? But then sometimes the person who's asked the question might feel concerned. Oh, well, what, what am I meant to do now? Am I going to say the wrong thing or don't I know what I'm meant to do here? I don't know what to say. Sometimes just simply listening is the biggest thing that someone can do because that models a kind of acceptance of the person itself. There's something validating to just hear someone through the situation they're in and I've been in quite a number of situations where I've heard friends describe some really complicated circumstances and the best I can offer is something along the lines of, you know, gee, like that, that sounds really tough. You know, what, what do you think you might do in that situation? Or, or otherwise just even leave it as, gee, that really sounds tough. Like full stop, then listen. Because just for the other person to feel heard, but they can tell that you're accepting them as a human being. They can tell if they're struggling, you're not judging them in any particular way. Actually, you're kind of relating or empathising to what it might be like being in that circumstance. And you might not be able to come up with any great ideas at all yourself on how it might improve, but just even being with the person 
and hearing them out and maybe just, again, holding some hope for that person that maybe things might improve. Sometimes we're also there to, in a way, remember for the person and kind of remind them, well, that might be how it is now, but it mightn't be like that forever. Because when people are stuck, often things seem very time-focused stuck, as though things are frozen in time, as though it'll never get better. And when we're like another person, sometimes it's easier for us to hold the idea that, look, things might seem really difficult now, but are they likely to be as tough as this in six months' time? Probably not. We don't even necessarily need to express that. But just recognising that all of us are going to have ups and downs in life, all of us are going to be stuck at particular times, and in a sense to not catastrophize about that or not panic about it or just even to be with someone with a listening ear at a time like that, that can make a difference. Well, I think that's so true and I think it's something that maybe like I had to learn after having that conversation with a friend who I suppose pulled me up is probably the correct terminology on it but like I say, I really appreciate someone being able to say that to me but I suppose the other thing that comes with if someone's presenting a situation to you and you're saying, oh, I've got all these, you know, almost problem-solving measures that we can take and different solutions that we can put into place, kind of the implication from that is I have a solution that you haven't thought of. And so I think there can be something almost even really powerful in just sort of saying, yeah, that's a that's a wicked problem that would be tough to deal with. And even, you know, if you're, you're in that situation yourself where you're getting something off your chest a bit, like even some of the terminology that we use with these things, getting something off your chest or feeling a weight off your shoulders after you've spoken to someone about the problem. Well, inherently within that, if you really think about it, there can be something about accepting a situation and just saying it as it is and not wanting to look to find that solution immediately, just putting it out there, feeling this sense of relief, well, it strikes me that there can be something kind of tangible and there can almost be a, a, you know, a mini solution or even a temporary solution in literally just telling someone about it. Like it just strikes me that that feeling of relief that we get is almost accepting the situation and having it accepted by someone else without having to you know, go all guns blazing on whatever the solution might be. Yes, and a number of things come to mind there. And one is a whole lot of circumstances in life involve compromise. A lot of what happens in healthy relationships is routine compromise. There might be different areas where we have a different perspective with our partner. It might be around standards of cleanliness. It might be how much time we spend. It might be how much time we spend socialising compared to more solitary time. There's different ways that couples might differ in parenting for example they might be of different religions and then have some challenge in how they will raise their children and so as far as things like that go it helps to recognize that compromises are built in situations like work situations aren't all going to be perfect there will be swings and roundabouts in different kind of ways but also think of something you mentioned earlier about problems you mentioned the notion of a wicked problem I think sometimes it can be almost a relief to acknowledge that some problems are wicked problems, meaning that there's no really neat solution to them. We shouldn't be expecting ourselves to come up with some fancy answer or have to feel good about a situation because it's just so complicated there might not be any straightforward way out of it. And I can remember a particular example that came to mind when you mentioned about a wicked problem. Years ago, 
I faced a very complicated work situation and I spoke to a wise and thoughtful friend who was also a very good problem solver, very good at taking a perspective on things. But he asked me a couple of questions about this difficult situation. Then maybe one or two more questions. He was really looking for a deeper understanding. And then he basically said to me, and excuse the language, but he said something along the lines of, well, I think you're screwed. Now, I dare you, say uh, it was maybe slightly more fruitful language as well. Well, well actually, it, it was slightly more fruitful. But in that kind <laughs> of situation, strangely enough, I had this immediate feeling of relief. Now, how could that be? I'm telling him about this really difficult situation. I thought that it might unfold quite poorly, but I felt that there was not much I could do about it. It actually gave me permission, first of all, to feel stressed about it as I had been. It wasn't like I was just being silly about it. Also, I felt that maybe I did have some realistic insight into the situation. I wasn't, dare I say, just feeling sorry for myself or whatever. It was truly difficult. But it had this curious kind of permission. It was giving me to, in a sense, feel some, well, real concern and maybe a degree of stress about that. But it kind of gave me the message, well, I just had to sit with it, see how things would unfold. In a way, it took the pressure off. It wasn't just to do with something that I was doing or not doing in a work situation. It was the circumstance itself. And I won't go into it, but it involved an interaction with a number of colleagues. It was quite a number of years ago, but it basically helped me recognise there was only so much I could do. Things played out over a period of a year or two. Dare I say, some colleagues left over that period of time. In time, I would say the work situation improved dramatically, but it wasn't easy for a period of time. And I thought back from time to time of what my friend had said to me, and strangely enough, it gave me an extra feeling of acceptance. I thought, well, it just happened that I was facing a wicked problem at the time. It was going to have to unfold whatever way it did. Well, what strikes me with that example is, and I suppose it's a, a part of acceptance in some ways, but in speaking to your friend about it, it was almost as if you accepted the situation but it was kind of through a change of attitude in some ways. So it's almost adding another layer into it in terms of part of acceptance can be not necessarily changing the situation at all, but we can change how we look at the situation in the first place. Like our attitude towards it can change. And that almost takes some of the pressure off having to change the entire situation itself. It's just that we almost reframe things in a certain way to go, actually, there is something in this for me. It's not as if it's a completely negative situation. Haven't necessarily changed the situation at all, but the way that I'm looking at it now allows me to think about it in a more positive way. Yes, I think that's an important way of looking at it. It's what attitude that we take. And if we actively take an attitude of acceptance, that can be a powerful thing. So I'll just mention a couple of different types of acceptance. One might be a problem so small or minor, then we could just do nothing and accepting it is, well, just don't bother about it. It's not enough to worry about. But we're talking here more about more significant problems. And I'll give one further example of when someone might consciously accept a situation which is very difficult and yet it actually helps them deal with real adversity. Many years ago, I worked with a lot of Vietnam veterans 
And also, many of those veterans, I had contact with their wives. We ran programs for Vietnam veterans with their wives at the Heidelberg Repatriation Hospital. And one of the things that became clear is there was this very sad and difficult situation where many couples had got together, maybe in their teenage years, early 20s maybe, but often teenage years. Then the fellow who'd gone off to Vietnam been involved, for example, in the infantry or some other area, faced a lot of war trauma, developed severe PTSD, came back to Australia, over a period of time had problems not just with war memories but sometimes problems with anger reactions, certainly anxiety, depressive moods at times, substance abuse, often quite significant difficulties. And yet their partner would stay with them through that. Now, that was a pretty tricky situation to be in because often you'd think in those relationships it would have been very difficult, put a lot of strain on the partner. And what I heard sometimes, which I thought was a bit unfair, is I heard, for example, some colleagues say it's as though that person was almost weak or passive to stay in the situation with their war veteran partner with all these difficulties. And it struck me, sometimes that was so harsh because in speaking to a number of the wives in that situation, they said, look, I knew this person before they went off to war. I know about their character, their personality, what they were prepared to give and sacrifice. And when they came back, partly through no fault of their own, they had all these kind of difficulties. And so at times they chose to stay with their partner and support them what way they could through that commitment, through an active commitment. Now, if someone just passively stayed in a difficult situation, and for example, if there were ongoing domestic violence, that would be a different thing. If someone just puts up with a situation where they're unsafe or badly mistreated, that's a different story. That would generally be something we'd see as an unacceptable situation that would have to change in some ways. But often the person was dealing with their partner being more withdrawn, having difficult moods, that side of things, and they'd be more of a carer in some ways for their partner, sometimes not officially anything like a carer, but there was that aspect to their relationship. Now, I thought in some situations there was something quite virtuous and noble about people having that role. Now, mind you, it's so complicated, it'd be fair enough for someone to think also whether they stay in that kind of situation. But I think there are situations where a person can have a commitment to a partner. For example, they have a terrible car accident. And then that means that the person, if they're going to stay in that relationship long term, they're basically going to be a carer. Well, I think it would be too simplistic to just dismiss their choice that way as staying in what might seem like a bleak situation. I think it's for people to make that choice themselves. But I think it would be very different if a person made that choice very consciously based on their values rather than passively thinking, oh, I'm just stuck in this situation forever. There's nothing I can do about it and maybe feeling helpless and depressed. And I should say as well, in that situation, we very actively encourage the partners or people in a caring role. Also carve out time for yourself. Spend time with friends do things that are different away from home away from your partner as well you need to carve out parts of your life for you to sustain you in some ways and we know that people in caring situations there can be a risk of stress that leads to 
inflammation, like affecting people's physical and mental health. But if people are acting in ways that we call eudaimonic well-being, which is doing something for a larger cause or purpose, it's purpose and meaning-driven eudaimonic well-being, doing things for the benefit of other people, rather than doing things for hedonic well-being, that's, well, I suppose, you know, playing golf, doing fun things, doing things you enjoy, seeing a movie, tasting good food, that's hedonic well-being. We know that eudaimonic well-being, when people are doing things for the benefit of others, for example, if they have a strong sense of purpose and meaning that helps people perform caring roles, that eases or tempers the inflammation response. So these things are complicated, but it does also depend a bit on our mindset or attitude, that side of things. And there's certain situations where people are very committed to situations that might be difficult, including a work situation where they're understaffed, it's difficult, but the sense of purpose someone has helps them perform that role certainly at least for a period of time, maybe before reviewing it. So I think we could consider that as well. There is another aspect of commitment that's relevant to consider, but then it comes back to what's worthwhile for that person, what they get out of it, rather than thinking they just have to do it and they've got no choice. They're just helplessly stuck. Well, I think that's a great point. Like we see that with, I think, sports people a fair bit, to be honest. I can think of a few examples where someone might have got injured on the field and their partner who knew them as this, you know, robust, almost invincible young bloke or whatever, goes on to become a, a carer for them. And it's just a, a wonderful situation because, yeah, it'd be so tough to deal with for that person. But from, you know, interviews, and I'm sure they probably dress it up a little bit, but you get a real sense that that person really wants to help their partner and wants to be there for them in that particular way. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's an uplifting thing, I think, when you witness that. Yes, maybe it takes a, a very giving person in that situation and we're not suggesting that everybody should always just accept those circumstances that they're in and fulfil that role. But I suppose what I'm saying is let's not overlook it when people are choosing that kind of role. Otherwise, it can be a bit invalidating to suggest, oh, well, they shouldn't be staying in that kind of situation. I think we could appreciate that person's virtuous nature, including, dare I say, virtually all of those who are in caring roles that they choose. Most certainly. That's a very good point. But, Dad, let's build on that a little bit in terms of we're not suggesting that someone should just particularly stay in a situation if it's, I imagine if it's unsafe, that would be one situation where it would be really worth someone getting out of that situation. And so if we look at, say, the third coping alternative, which is to leave, and I find it interesting in some ways that we even refer to this as a coping alternative because on the surface in some ways you think, oh, it might be a little bit avoidant or it might be avoiding the situation, but we describe leaving as a coping alternative. So do you want to just build on that a little bit for us? Yes, and you're highlighting here there's an important difference between leaving and a sense of avoidance. Certainly there could be some situations which it could be avoidant to leave. Look, I'm feeling a bit stressed. I might have the skills to deal with this and there might be a lot of good things about staying, but hey, I'm feeling stressed at the moment, so I'm just going to leave. And if we just kept on leaving one job after another, we'd think that looks like a pattern of avoidance. Or someone leaving one relationship after another and just short relationships, that could look like a pattern of avoidance. But just say if someone's in a situation which is unsafe, just say there's ongoing domestic violence, especially physical violence. 
but ongoing emotional abuse, if you like, or situations where it's having a real impact on the person's mental health and maybe their physical health because it's so serious, it's lasting so long, the person's just feeling helpless, bleak, they've tried to do what they can to improve the situation, they've maybe looked to address that with their partner, they've sought other help for dealing with the situation and yet it stays feeling bleak, the person's feeling depressed, helpless, they feel they don't have opportunities to progress in their life, just say if they're in a situation where they're partner might be engaging in what we otherwise might call financial or economic abuse, that the person doesn't have access to joint funds. There are situations that are basically, we could say, unacceptable. If there's ongoing threat to the person's physical safety or there are these ongoing circumstances that are really greatly impacting on someone's physical and mental health, that's a kind of situation we would think it's probably a coping alternative to leave. And one example that's partly based on that is many years ago, I ran a number of anger management groups for men with a history of physical violence, including towards their partners. Now, in that kind of situation, we were working, in this case, with men's groups to help them change their behaviour. But by the same token, it was really important that they maintained their focus and incentive to truly make the changes they needed to when people often came into those programs to just try and keep their partner with them. Their main motivation often was hoping their partner wouldn't leave or they're saying, I'm doing something about it. There are a number of those situations where it was best that the partner leave at least for a period of a few months because it was only under those circumstances that the person more truly would be motivated to change their behaviour and follow through and persist with following through behaviour and certainly with changing people's physically aggressive behaviour. It was only when they'd gone for about four months of persistently changing their behaviour, curbing the physical violence that we could be more confident that there was a true change in habit rather than just that they were acting a bit differently for a few weeks. So that was a situation where even if it's a strategic leaving but not just staying in an unacceptable situation could be important. But we could think of other situations as well. What if someone's in a workplace which is really abusive, it feels that way, and the person's just quite unsupportive They've looked to bring it up with colleagues. They've looked to bring it up with their superiors. It's gone on for months. The person has weighed up what they get out of the situation, but they realise that whatever the rewards might be, it's just undermining to them and their well-being. That's a kind of situation where the writing might be on the wall that it's unacceptable. The person's tried to improve it. They're not getting the support that they need. They've maybe talked to some confidants or trusted others. And basically, this looks like a very negative kind of situation and it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. It could be frightening to think of up and leaving, but at very least, it's worth the person checking out their alternatives. What might be their next best bet? What might be an alternative even if they can move to some kind of transition role or transition job, which isn't ideal, but it gets them out of that relatively intolerable situation. But the idea of just staying there and suffering, feeling undermined or feeling unsafe or feeling under threat or feeling very unsupported and having unrealistic demands on you, continually stressed out, that side of things, 
it's not a coping alternative to just try and stick it out in that situation months and months on end and then on beyond that. And so it strikes me that in some ways, like as we look at, say, change it, accept it and leave, it almost works like a little bit of a checklist in some ways in terms of we can look at a situation, we go, well, can we change it? Potentially not. Then we almost look at the acceptance part of it. Well, can we accept it? Well, there are things that some people can do that are just blatantly unacceptable. So I wonder if there's particular situations where it's almost like someone's committed an indiscretion or they've you know like I think of abuse or something like that for example it's almost like just get to the third checkpoint in terms of you know there's no way of accepting that you can't change what someone's done it's worth leaving in that situation but if a situation's not necessarily unsafe it might be a little bit more uncomfortable well then we can almost look down the checklist well can I change something about this situation can I change my attitude to allow me to accept it a little bit better or maybe no in both those situations. So it might be a situation that I have to look at leaving because there's no other alternative that's going to work for me. Yes, you've actually reminded me of another situation which is relevant to the idea of whether people leave or not. And it's in the situation where one partner or another has an affair. And Esther Perel has written about this very helpfully in a book called The State of Affairs. Because in our culture, often there's almost an expectation that if one or other partner has had an affair, that the only healthy option is for the the wronged partner to leave. Now, Esther Perel, in The State of Affairs, she acknowledges the pain that that situation will often cause. She doesn't play that down, acknowledging that. However, she raises the question that What about the impact for many couples and families if they were to automatically leave, just say also circumstances, they've built a home together, they have children, there are all sorts of complicated circumstances there. There might have been many positive aspects of their relationship beforehand. Sometimes there are some very complicated circumstances that can contribute to affairs and it's often not just 100% one partner being responsible for difficulty in a relationship and the other 0%. It's often more complicated than that. But I think it's fair enough to acknowledge in that situation there is likely to be a partner who understandably feels wronged in that situation and that's something that probably should be acknowledged pretty fully by the person who's pursued an affair. But by the same token, Esther Perel looks at lots of different ways that people might process their reactions and experiences in that situation their feelings in that situation allowing for the pain that's involved but also looking at other options sometimes for people to potentially restore their relationship often involving certain changes and the thing that I've noticed in that situation too it makes a big difference in my view if the person who's conducted the affair is prepared to take very visible and lasting steps to show their interest and their commitment to making things as positive as they can for their partner, very genuinely demonstrating that in a whole range of ways. I think that that's the main way I see someone looking to redress the balance to some extent or to improve the situation, really demonstrating through action and behaviour over quite a period of time 
their genuine attempts to improve the situation. That also applies when someone has been abusive to their partner in whatever way, even say emotionally abusive, lots of name calling, that kind of thing. I think it's very important when the person recognises the pain they've inflicted on their partner through such behaviour to take a lot of active steps to look to gradually win back trust and be accepting of the fact that one's partner might find that hard to accept for quite a period of time. But there's an example of where it's not just straightforward, these things, change it, accept it or leave. But I think that you're right. Often it's first try and change it, improve the situation. Sometimes it might not be that big a deal and we can accept it. Or we can focus on the things that we can control and there's a trade-off. We can accept the things that we can't so much. But sometimes, especially the threat to our safety, very undermining to us, it's impacting increasingly on our mental and maybe our physical health, then that nudges it certainly more towards the direction of considering leaving as one of the alternatives. Well, that seems absolutely fair enough in a whole range of situations. But I guess what really comes to mind for me there is the sense of agency that it provides in terms of maybe even if someone stays and accepts that situation or looks to change particular things. Like I reckon maybe, you know, when I was probably a younger man, dad, and, you know, didn't necessarily see the uh, world for all its nuance and complication. You could almost think in that situation, well, hold on, if, if someone's, you know, cheated on you in a situation or if someone's had an affair, well, that just completely robs you of your agency in that situation but as we go through these things well even just accepting a situation you can gain back some agency in that situation if you go well I'm accepting it for these reasons or I'm accepting it because it's going to be able to help me maybe achieve this outcome that I want to achieve or be in this situation that I actually do want to be in. It's not worth throwing the baby out with the bathwater just because this one thing's happened. It just strikes me that, yeah, we can have a lot more agency in situations than perhaps we maybe even recognise at times because the nature of the situation could be one that it feels like it really robs us of that agency. But as we go through these alternatives today in terms of change it, accept it or leave... Well, all of those things just have a a real sense of agency about them. Yes, I think it's worthwhile highlighting that notion. As you say, it's partly about our mindset. It's about having an active approach to how we deal with situations. And mentioning agency, it reminds me we do have another podcast on agency, I believe podcast uh, number 45. And it talks about there being a few elements to agency that can also be relevant in situations where we change it, accept it or leave. One is efficacy, so feeling effective. Now, feeling effective could be because we've changed a situation and improve it, but we can also have some sense of efficacy if we're consciously and actively choosing to accept a situation and focusing on the things that either we really like about it or serve us well, that kind of thing. Then there's optimism. So sometimes... Choosing to look to address or find a way of managing with a particular situation or whether we choose to change it, accept it or leave, if we also adopt an attitude of optimism, we're more likely to get some of the outcomes that we want. And then finally, imagination. So imagination is particularly important, I suppose, for the change it idea, thinking of what kind of alternatives can we consider to address a problem or improve a situation, that kind of envisioning things being different, how we'd like them to be, that really helps. 
But to some extent, we could also sometimes imagine, if we're in a difficult situation we're accepting, imagine what it might be like in a year's time. Maybe it's pretty stuck now. It might still be difficult in a few months. But if you imagine that circumstances might improve without simply making excuses or avoiding it, if we imagine with a degree of optimism while still looking to change what we can, then that can be a balance as well. But yeah, people might be interested to go back and listen to that podcast on agency. And I think it was called Supporting a Sense of Agency, that episode. So we'll put that up at the episode page for today at sykespills.com.au that you can access that one. But I suppose, Dad, just one final thing for me is that it strikes me that social support can be relevant to basically all of these three alternatives in terms of we can maybe draw on those social resources to help us change a situation. We can even just have a conversation with someone and that can help us to accept a situation and then we can... We'll draw on those supports again if we ever need to leave a situation. It just strikes me that that's a, a maybe an important part of all this too is that you don't necessarily have to do it yourself. And I suppose the other aspect of that is that although it can be so important to draw on these social supports when when needed, the other aspect is if we have a real sense of maybe why we're doing something or what we want to get out most of a situation – well, then we can marry up the situation with those kind of broad ideas that we want for ourselves in terms of if we're just going, oh, you know, this it's not suiting me, but I don't really have a sense of what would suit me in this situation. Well, that can be so much harder to almost find a tangible pathway forward rather than going, well, maybe these few aspects of it match up. Maybe these other things really don't match up at all. And so I'm going to look to change the things that don't match up with what I want to get out of this situation. Just strikes me if we can almost take that broader look in terms of what we actually want to get out of a situation, see where we're maybe running up against the rocks with whatever circumstances we're going through at that time. Well, that can just help us to, I suppose, find a way forward that's going to suit us better in the long run. Yes, a couple of things that you're really highlighting there and worthwhile emphasising at this point, as you say, that social support, so important. For many people, it makes the world of difference far more than you might anticipate. Just to be able to share an experience, a challenge, a problem with someone else, even if there's no ready fix to it, even if it's a wicked problem. Actually, sometimes there's some of the most helpful problems to share with someone else because simply having someone listen and empathise and relate a bit to where we're at, that can make a difference and use the term validating. That's validating in itself. And then the other thing that you've emphasised throughout too is that kind of perspective taking makes such a difference and as far as that goes again sharing with others hear ourselves say out loud what the circumstances are maybe get some reflection back from someone else that helps that perspective taking and as far as perspective taking goes maybe we can acknowledge the serenity prayer that many people would have heard and it's partly about perspective and basically it goes god grant me the serenity to accept what I cannot change, the courage to change what I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I think that sums up a lot. 
Well, certainly, that's a, a nice little way to finish, Dad. And so, as we mentioned, we'll put all of the resources for today's episode up on the episode page at psychspills.com.au. But thanks for chatting with me about all this today, Dad. It strikes me that it can seem a bit of a, a simple principle in some ways, and there's going to be a whole range of complications that come into it in terms of people's own individual circumstances. But I think it does really help to almost step back from a situation and go, well, regardless of what it is, there are these three alternatives alternatives and that can just almost help you navigate some of the obstacles that can come up from an inherently challenging situation. Yes good then Rowan and given that a lot of people find that this issue comes up in the context of relationships having that clinical handout on the episode page about the Gottman's work and the suggestions they have for improving relationships I think that could be worth referring to for people who relate to this issue in the relationship side of things. I think that could be worth referring to for people who relate to this issue in the relationship side of things. Uh, what was that? An hour 